0: Peter was speaking. He told us about the things we need to add to our faith in order to serve God in this world and be profitable in the Kingdom of God, profitable in our family, profitable in the church, profitable in the world in which we live in society. We pray every time we come here, we all pray and we pray about the condition of the church and the condition of the nation. And you can't blame these things on the Lord. You blame them on those who live here. And that is us. But we see all the things around us and how pitiful and dark this world is. Peter is giving us a way to live and profit in this world as we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about in verse 11 of chapter 1, Uh, such an entrance shall be ministered to you in abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is uh, an abundant ministry of the grace of God which brings you into the kingdom of God, which translates you into the kingdom of God. We are so very happy and thankful to have the knowledge that this is not of us. We had nothing to do with it. Therefore, we cannot lose it. If it were up to me, I'd mess it up. It's not of us. It's of the Lord who translates us and brings us here and causes us and enables us through the revelation of Jesus Christ to worship Him. To see the Lord high and lifted up and to worship Him. An abundant entrance is ministered unto the child of God as He comes into the everlasting kingdom. Well, Now wait a minute, somebody might say. The everlasting kingdom is in heaven above. Yes, it is. But you remember going through Revelation, this is the kingdom of God, the holy city, New Jerusalem, which has come down from God out of heaven to us. What is here in this world regarding the kingdom, regarding the Spirit of God, regarding the love that we have will carry us, go with us into heaven in a mortal glory. Our faith will not be in heaven when we get there because we will not see by faith. We will see by sight. But the love and the fellowship that God places upon us Will carry us, be with us here, and in heaven, in immortal glory. And even though it's abundantly upon us here, even more so, even more so will it be in heaven in immortal glory. Paul, speaking of these things, and he's regarding the preaching of the gospel, which is given to the elect of God whom God chose to sanctify and set aside and make holy and without blame before Him in love in Christ. Verse 12, He said, Wherefore I will not be negligent, speaking to the church and about the Gospel, to put you always in remembrance of these things. The remembrance of what things? All these things that pertain unto life and godliness in this world which God hath given unto us. They are ours because God gave them unto us. They come from God for God gave them unto us. We could have them no other way except from God in Christ. Peter says, I'll not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of things, these things though you know them and be established in the present truth. You know them. You've heard them. God has written His law upon your heart. Christ is there. You're in the assembly of the saints. You've been translated by the God, the Father Himself. You hear the sound of the Gospel. All of God's children do not hear the sound of the Gospel. All of God's children do not hear the truth Of the gospel. The second chapter, we're going to go into false prophets and we're going to talk some more about that. They have always been here since Satan beguiled Eve, okay? And everyone preaches another gospel which glorifies man and not God. We preach Christ and Him crucified, nothing else is able to save us. No one else was able to do it. It's in the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. He said I wanna I wanna put you in remembrance of these things, though you know them, because we are feeble, fickle creatures. We live church on Sunday afternoon, or at least I do, feeling like I'm on top of the world and just a little bit off of it, exalted into position between the world and God and seeking to get closer to God. It does not take very long that I'm trying to get back down in the pit of clay that God took me from because that is my nature and Satan attacks us the entire time we are in this world. We've already covered that, but that's why we need to have remembrance. That's why we need to be fed daily. The children of God walking through the wilderness known as Israel were fed six days a week by the Lord Himself. We get weak. We need that manna. God places it there. God sends it. God gives it. That's the preaching of the Gospel to our soul. I've heard people say my entire life trying to dispute... To what the Armenian says. Let's go skin Armenian. there's not any power in the gospel. Then why does Paul in Romans chapter one, talk about the power of the gospel? I say that to tell you and teach you there is power in the gospel. When God gives you life and quickens your soul by calling you to him in that Holy Spirit and writes Christ upon your heart, then God, in the preaching of the gospel, calls you to the obtaining of the glory of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God mixing with the preaching of the Gospel and the teaching of Scripture and Holy Writ teaches us of Christ and how to live with Christ and worship Christ and strive to walk with Christ and what is beyond this sin-cursed earth. We, we need to be remembered once a week I wish it was more, but once a week the Lord set aside the first day of the week, the resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ as a new beginning. And we learn and we assemble and we learn and we worship and we joy in Christ. Paul says, verse 13, "Yeah, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, in this body, this tent, if you will. this tabernacle. Even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Let me go back to a point in Scripture and teach you what he's talking about. I may have that mark. Yes. That's the correct one for change. <clears throat> John 21. The Lord is talking to Peter and he's just told him to feed his sheep. You remember they were downcast, sorrowful because the Lord had been crucified. Peter said, I go fishing. They're in the boat. He's naked in the boat fishing. And the Lord appears. It's the Lord. Peter throws on his coat and he swims to the bank to see the Lord. The Lord sends him forth, telling him, feed my lambs. What does He feed? Gospel food. Angel food. Feed my sheep. That's the young and the old. Feed my people. Verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Christ speaking to Peter, When thou wast young, thou girded thyself, and walkest where thou wouldest. You put your own clothes on, you got up, you walked, you worked, you did all the things that you do in life. But when thou shalt be old, this is 30 years after Peter is old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, you see the cross with the hands outstretched, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. These, this spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God, And when He had spoken this, He said unto him, Follow Me. The Lord Himself is telling Peter that when you're old, and again, the text in Second Peter is 30 years after this. He's older. When thou art old, someone else is going to carry you. Your arms are going to be outstretched, nailed to a cross. Tradition has that Peter was crucified upside down so as he would not have been crucified in the same manner as the Lord. He was crucified, he was nailed to a tree. He was carried somewhere he would not go, which was his cross and death. This spake he signified by what death he should. Glorify God. And God was glorified. Do you remember going through the book of Acts talking about all those martyrs, all those who were killed in the name of Christ and how God would use their suffering and their death to teach those in the church in the first century that even though these apostles, even though these elders pastors, teachers, disciples, even though these whom I call, even though these whom I send are burned at the stake and fed to animals, even though they're killed and destroyed, the church of God is in this world. It's established of Christ and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And in that, God is glorified. Now as we continue... And Peter, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Let that sink in. God prepares His people to leave this world. There is grace to be born from the womb. There is grace to be born of the Spirit God's providence in our life, grace to travel to church, grace to worship, everything we have by the grace of God. And by the grace of God, when the time draws nigh, I've seen it many, many times in my ministry and even career. God will prepare one of His beloved when the time is coming to die. I've told you this before, and no, I am not dwell it long. Garland Justice used to sit right over there. He said, I love my life here. I thank God. I thank God, and I want to stay here as long as I can. He loved the Lord's church, and he loved his family. But the day that I went to see him the last time in the hospital in Silicawka, he said, I'm ready to leave. What's the change? The Lord prepares His people to leave this world because He loves us. Peter knew that he was going to soon leave that body. And he knew how because the Lord told him in John 21, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. When a man... I'll just give you an example. I'll give you two. If I can remember both of them long enough. When a father has a son and a father is going to leave, the father knows this. He's going about to die. He's on deathbed or knows it's coming. The Lord has revealed to him. He tries to get things in order. He tries to establish his sons or even his daughter's especially his wife, to be prepared and to carry on to not sorrow, but rejoice he's gone because he's with Christ, that they may live the rest of their time in this world. Peacefully and profitably in the Lord. And by profit, I don't mean money. I mean godliness and peace in the knowledge of the finished work of the Son of God. Now let's take another, and I've seen this. When a minister knows, and I've known several that knew this before it happened, some a year or so, that the time for them is drawing nigh, they seek to find someone the Lord would approve of to take up the ministry of the church that they serve and have them in a position and a place to do so. A man loves his family. The minister loves the church because God loves us. So you see Peter knowing that he is about to die very soon. He's telling them, I want these things to be kept in remembrance. You're going to face... Hard times. It's not going to get any better. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. All the things we find in Scripture that are going to get worse and worse and worse, and Peter knew that, and he's telling them, I want you to be able to keep these things in remembrance when I'm dead and gone and with Christ in the heavens. After my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For ye have not followed cunningly devised fables. Now we're going to get into chapter 2 soon and we're going to talk about Antichrist. Peter is telling them here, you're not following cunningly devised fables. These are not fables of the Jews. 1 Peter 1, about verse 4, Paul tells us to not preach fables or lineage or never-ending lineage because it genders to questions and not security and peace and the knowledge of Christ. We don't need to be telling everybody. Don't use fables. Don't use the the things the Jews would teach. Don't use the things uh, Gentiles teach where they make their own gods and cover them with gold and they are not ever... Delivered because they have power over the gods they create. And the Jews justifying themselves by the keeping of the law for which they fail greatly as we all do, for we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Peter says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. Let me give you first a fact, then we'll go to that text. In Acts, we find in chapter 1, verse 22 beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day that He was taken up from us, he's talking about the Lord, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of His resurrection. You had to be ordained to be an apostle. There were only twelve. They chose Matthias. He was not the twelfth. That was of their choosing. God chose the Apostle Paul. We've proven that before. Let's look at 1 John dealing with those that are ordained to be apostles and the purpose they held. Because Peter, remember, was an apostle. That which was from the beginning, 1 John 1, Christ, which we have heard, they heard Him speak with their own ears. This is not by faith. This is by sight. They saw the Son of God. This was imperative for them to write the Scripture given to them of the Holy Spirit to teach us of God and give us peace and Christ in this world in which we live. It's the evidence of things not seen the substance of things hoped for. Okay. Which we have seen with our eyes. They saw Him raised the dead, healed the sick. They saw Him upon the cross and they saw Him on the Mount of Transfiguration where I'm fixing to go. Which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. They touched the very Son of God and as he says here of the Word of Life it's a capital W that is a proper name for the living Word of God who is the Christ of God the living Word of God who was made flesh and dwelt among us for this life was manifested we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us let me go one more That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me go one more since we're talking about writing the Bible and preaching the Gospel and declaring unto us what they saw, heard, and handled. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. They had to see Him. They had to hear Him in order to be an apostle called of God and each one of those men did we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for he received from God the Father honor and glory (laughs) let's go back my favorite place of this is Matthew 17 but you can also find it in Mark, I believe, 9. And you can also find it in Luke chapter 9. Luke goes a step farther. And I'll cover that in just a moment. He received honor and glory from God. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother. Matthew 17, verse 1. Christ did not take the Pharisees and the scribes and the rich, powerful men of the world. Christ took the fisherman, the brash, impudent fisherman. I'll go to death with thee. Although he denied Him three times and was still sent to preach the Gospel and being an apostle because God's purpose does not fail. Point being, He took them up into a mountain high part. This is the mountain of Tabor. It's there in Caesarea Philippi. Pronounce that properly. That's where Christ was at at the time that this is talking about. The word Tabor means holy. It means righteousness, perfection. It's where He took them up. How did they get there? He took them into a high mountain, lifted up to the holy mountain. That's what the word means, holy. And He, Christ, was transfigured before them. Listen to how they saw Him. When Christ came to this world, he laid the glory of the Godhead aside. Had he not, we would have been consumed. Christ is the second person of the Godhead. He is eternal. Father, Word, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, all in the same deity all in the same power, knowledge, wisdom, and glory. And Christ is the glory of God. When Adam sinned, he had walked with God in the garden. He could do that no more. He was now fallen and sin, and rebellion. And lest he be consumed, he was driven from the presence of, Of God. That was mercy. That was grace. Here, Christ is transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun. Can you look into the sun? I was driving to Josh's house the other day to take them something because they were sick. Such beautiful day. the was Friday. The rain had just stopped. The sun was shining. It was a later period of the day. The sun was setting. It was in my eyes. For a brief instant I looked at it and I had to look away because my eyes could not stand to behold it. Such is the glory of the living God. Such is the glory of the Son of God. His face was as The sun and His raiment, His clothing was white, glistening, clear, righteous, beautiful. The glory of God revealed to them as He was transfigured, the very Son of God. If I can find it, Luke 9.28, he took them up into a mountain to pray and he as he prayed, Christ, the fashion of His countenance was altered and His raiment was white and glistering, a sparkle. Herod read worms and stank. Herod allowed them to think that He was God. Herod would wear clothing that would sparkle and glitter like the scales of a fish when the light of the sun moved upon it. It would move and ripple. God is not mocked, okay? And Herod paid greatly for that. Christ is white and glistering. The glory of God upon Him. There appeared two men, Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory. Let's stop and think about this just a minute and dispel the silly things we have taught and been heard before. There in on the mount, Tabor was Moses and Elias. They had both been dead for over a thousand years. Jesus told the Pharisees and scribes, "Before Abraham was, I am." He told Moses, telling that I am has sent you. He is eternal. He is the eternal Son of God. Here, well over a thousand years after the death of Elias and Moses, I believe it's about fifteen hundred years. There's with him two men, and they appeared in glory. They weren't dead, they were alive. Why do we fear death? Death is the beginning of life. Death is when we leave this world. These timorous minds and bodies of fickle, feeble man fear death. Moses. Elias, there with Christ, a thousand years after the body had been laid in the ground, alive with Christ, appearing with Him in glory. And they spake of His decease Well, the people in heaven don't know what's going on. Oh, that's forgotten. Let me tell you something. Ecclesiastes, where it says former things are forgotten. If you will take Ecclesiastes in the context that it is written... It's talking about living in this world and forgetting the things of the flesh and pressing forward in the things of God. Okay? Because it's all about temporal living in this world. Take the book and read it. Let's go back to 17 for just a moment. There appeared with Him Moses and Elias. Watch this. Then answered Peter and said unto us, unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, watch this, let us make here three tabernacles. I'm not judging Peter. Mark tells us Peter is deathly afraid and didn't know what to say. I could relate to that. Depart from me, Lord, from a sinful man. I fear God reverentially by the grace of God. Listen to what Peter says. Let us make here three tabernacles. One for thee, for he knew Christ, because God had revealed him to him. One for Moses, and one for Elias. You catch that? These men had been dead for a thousand years, and Peter knows... Who they are. Okay? We're not going to remember anything in heaven. I do not believe that. I do not believe that. We'll be known as we are. What does that mean? We'll be known as a child of God, saved by the grace of God in the blood of the Lamb and we will worship Him forever and ever and ever and our mothers and our fathers and our wives and our children... We won't be given in marriage anymore. We'll be as angels in heaven. We shall be raised up to serve and praise God. And regarding them seeing when they spoke of His demise, what would happen in this world, what Christ was going to accomplish with His death, Think about this. We love God because He first loved us. We love God. Why do you love your mom and dad? Because you know they loved you. God is our Father. We love God because He loved us. Because He's shown us that He loves us. I heard Sonny Huckabee years and years ago, probably 25, 30 years ago, Make a statement that when do you begin to love your mother? When you come forth from her womb because you know and see she's your mother, you're part of her. When do you begin to love your Father? When you see and realize, when it's revealed unto you that He is your Father, that He will protect you and love you and provide for you and that you came from Him. So when do we begin to love God? (laughs) When He reveals... Himself to us. We see God. We see the glory of God upon the cross. We realize and understand that we're sinners by our very nature. That there's no way, no chance to come to God, to know God, that we're at empty with God and loving every minute of it. And God touches us and God saves us and God brings us and God reveals Himself to us by his purpose of grace. When we leave this body and we dwell with Christ, the very least that we shall know and never forget is that the Creator of heaven and earth, the living Word of God, is our Savior. Is the Lamb of God, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. If we see that and we'll never forget it, then we'll never forget we had, forget we had to be saved. Why do we worship Him? Because He loved us. And He saved us when we were unlovable. Looking at a possum on the back porch the other night, about midnight, eating cat food. That old ugly, long nose. I thought, boy, can't nobody love you but your mama. That's the way we were—unlovable, ugly, filthy—and yet God loved us. That's why we love Him. We're not going to forget that. We won't be husband and wife. We'll all be brethren and sisters. Raised up in the righteous, righteous image of the Son of God. Don't you ever think the foolishness that, that, that we won't know who we are. I, I wouldn't have that. If you disagree, I'm sorry, but I won't have it. And we're given biblical evidence. Even with Samuel, when he was called up by the... I'll call her a witch... For he received from God the Father honor and glory. We see that there. Glistening white, clearer than any fuller soap, whiter than any white, clearer than had ever been seen by man. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. And when there came a voice to him to who? Christ from the excellent glory. The voice came to Him from the excellent glory of the Father in heaven. You want proof Christ is the Son of God? This is My beloved Son. You see that in Matthew. You see that in Mark. You see that in Luke. When He spoke to them, God said to them, this is My beloved Son, comma, in whom I am well pleased. Semicolon. It stands alone. There is nothing that has to be added. It's perfect. The Son, eternal. Please, the Father, eternal. And the salvation of dying and saving His people from their sins. That's what He came to do. That's what He did. It is finished. But there is a semicolon that should give us great understanding of the preaching of the Gospel. Hear ye Him. Okay? We assemble... To hear the Lord God, I pray every day, Lord, preach through me. Speak through me. Be merciful to me. And speak through me to feed thy sheep. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. I may get these next three. I didn't think I might. The holy mount, Mount Tabor. Peter's testifying to them they saw Christ transfigured they heard the voice from heaven just as when just as when Christ was baptized Christ in the river Jordan the spirit of God descending from heaven in the form of a dove and God the Father in heaven showing us the three separate persons of the godhead who are all one I can't understand that. I can't teach you that and explain it to you, but I believe it because the Bible says it. And God reveals it. But they were all three there. As He said again, this is My beloved Son whom I'm well pleased. That's what we preach. Christ fulfilled the work the Father gave Him to do. I've told you. I saw it. We were there. We touched Him. We heard Him pray there in the Holy Mount and saw Him transfigured. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. It's sure. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. Take hey, heed. This world is full of darkness. This world is full of lies. This world hates Christ. This world hates God. This world hates you. There are things coming to pass now. I've been telling people were going to come to pass for the last 40 years. They were calling me a conspiracy theorist said I need to wear a tinfoil hat, but your very own government now, in this nation that God blessed and was pleased to set his church here, is trying to remove the name of Christ from your very mind if they could do so, destroying every institution God created and hating you with a passion from hell. We have a sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. Take heed. Listen. Learn. Worship Christ. He's our salvation. He's our deliverer. He's our deliverance. He's the Creator of heaven and earth. In this dark world, He gives us light. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, another semicolon, whereunto you do well that you take heed, comma, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. I chased a fellow one time, the felony crime, because I wasn't going to chase nobody after a misdemeanor. I chased him into a big building and there wasn't a light in it. And I got in there and the door shut behind me and I can't see. He's been there a few minutes longer than me so his eyes were adjusting quicker. Couldn't see I was in darkness. I couldn't see my enemy. And then the door opened because another officer came in And He lit it up with a little big stream light. And I could see. I could see my enemy. Okay? Christ is our light. He is the life of men. The light shineth in a dark place. The darkness comprehends it not. The darkness flees. The Bible say, the wicked fleeth when none pursueth. The light drives darkness away. Take heed. Christ is that light that shineth in a dark place. The depth of your soul. The darkness of the nature of man that gives you light that teaches you how to walk and our future in heaven and immortal glory. Our hope, our earnest expectation in the resurrection of the dead. And new heavens and a new earth, which we'll get to in chapter 3, where indwelling righteousness. This light shines in this dark place. And it will shine until the day dawn and the day star arises in your hearts. Some relay that to the last day. And I have no trouble with that. Because Christ is the light of God, He's the glory of God. And I've quoted from that many times. When the Son of Man appears in His glory, there He is in the glory of God, the great light that Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel chapter 2. As He says that one that looked like the Son of Man sitting upon a throne, the bow of glory around Him, when that glory of God appears. And we don't fight anymore with darkness. And we don't walk anymore with darkness. And we're not tempted anymore. And we're not sick and dying anymore. May we have the light of God with us. Take heed, brethren. I'm about to die and go away. This... I want this established. I want Christ to prosper. I want the will of God and His providence to be so, Lord, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, I started listening to some of the Reformed people. Well, turn Brother Winslet out of church. He's listening to them Reformers. I didn't say I was agreeing with them. I didn't say I was washing feet with them. I said I was listening to them. And I told you before, the old Baptists are not the only ones. We don't have a corner on the market of grace. Some of these brethren are like Christ said. They are not far off from the Kingdom of God. Some of these brethren will tell you about the sovereignty of God and the providence of God and the power of God and of His Christ. And then they lose it because they turn around and tell you you have got to gain faith when faith is the fruit of the Spirit which is a gift of God. Just saying that to make a point that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. We're going to get into chapter 2 and we're going to talk about Antichrist. We're going to talk about false teachers. We're going to talk about how they pervert the Gospel. How they lead astray children of God and how God delivers His people from it and the effects that they had upon God's children. The scripture is of no scripture, no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. God did not send it to one this way and one this way. He sends it to all. Okay? Those that God sends it to have the knowledge of Christ. The scripture means the same thing. Whether we misunderstand it, Many do. and I've said this before. There's two ways the false prophets work. They are either deceived in misunderstanding and deception of Satan or else they lie for their own belly. There's not another way. It's the only two. No Scripture. He's telling them False prophets are coming. He's telling them, take heed to the true Gospel, Christ and Him crucified. He's telling them, I'm going away. You remember this. You walk in Christ. You maintain the Gospel. Charles Spurgeon called the Old Baptist hard shells. Somebody comes along a few years ago and said we're called hard shells because we're hard on the shells of the Bible. We're not called hard shells. We're called hard shells. That means we've got such a hard exterior that we're not going to change. We want the same doctrine, the same practice, the same purpose that Christ established in the first century church. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, you read the prophets. Most of them fled. You think about Isaiah. Had to preach naked. Was it three years? Had to walk preaching naked. Do you? From my experience, I didn't use this. I ran from this. I wept that it would not depart from me. <laughs> but I can tell you this. God is persistent. and God is patient. When God gets you in a position like Isaiah, Lord, send me, you're in a blessed state. This prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. They wrote what they were given of the Holy Ghost. And let me guarantee you this, because Scripture says that Christ fulfilled the law to a jot and a tittle, and they penned exactly what God gave them through the Holy Spirit to pen for the Old Testament Scripture and knew just exactly to a jot and a tittle, to a comma, to a colon, to a semicolon. Everything in language. Perfect as the Holy Spirit gave it. For this prophecy came not in old time but the will of man, but holy men of God spake. As they were moved of the Holy Ghost. Linda told me years ago, she said there was a guy teaching Sunday school and he read a verse of scripture. It's when we were children. And the guy read the scripture and said, Well, that's not right. This should be up here, that down here. No, 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 no. I'm quite content that God, who created the heaven and earth, can preserve his word and his gospel, which is so vitally important to the purpose of Christ in this world, and I'm thankful for it. Next week, Lord willing, we'll start chapter 2.